I was raised in a great family. My mom and dad are watching uh, live. They basically watch every weekend. They're like covenant members of our church at this point. I love you guys. Thanks for watching and tuning in. A wonderful family. And by all accounts, it was a normal family. And, and anymore, I would say it was a blessed family in that I have both my parents. And they're still happily married, from what I can tell, after all these years. And um, I have a... a my, my, my parents love Jesus, my younger brother loves Jesus, my older sister loves Jesus, and uh, by all accounts, great family. And I praise God that, that like, I am who I am because of my upbringing and because of my family. But I would also say at the same time, maybe like you about your families, that I would give us mixed reviews, okay? I would give us mixed reviews in my family, and here's why. I learned some great things from my family, and there's some other things that have been passed down that are meh. Not so great. Anybody else have any of this in your families? Okay. If you're sitting next to your parents, maybe talk to them about this later. I don't know. But so like in my family, something that was very uh, important to, to my dad, to my grandfather, to my mom is this just like humble servanthood, just caring for people around you and trying to serve them and, and to, to do good by them. I also learned a little bit of a temper. That's in there. That got mixed in as well. I learned... Uh, or I have this, physically, I have this strangely high metabolism. Like, I do nothing to earn this. I eat like a terrible person. I don't exercise, and my wife hates me for it. Um, that's in my family for some reason. I don't know why. I just got it from them. At the same time, there's a little bit of cancer that runs through the family, a little bit of blood disease that took my aunt, my grandfather, maybe my, my dad someday, right? There's mixed reviews, right? Like there's, there's this mixture of things that we get from our families that are both good and bad, physically, emotionally, mentally, psychologically. And maybe you've experienced this in your life, these things that are passed down to you that are both good and bad, you would say. So what I want to speak about today in the series that we're going to go into in the coming weeks is that, that we all need to be made new and that we all need a new family doesn't mean we forget about our biological family, but it means we need a new, we need to be born again into a new family, one that has perfect reviews rather than mixed reviews, that, that we need a new family, that we need to be new creation. And today what we're celebrating in Easter is that, is that the resurrection is the beginning of new creation, that the resurrection is the beginning of a whole new family of God on earth. And that means something for me and you when we become Jesus followers, that we are new creation, that we are reborn into a new family that has great reviews instead of just mixed reviews. God has always wanted a family. When you study the scriptures and you see the entire arc of the narrative of scripture is he's always working through families. He's always working through people to be a family of God, whether it's Abraham, Noah, Adam and Eve, the people of Israel and then reconstituted around Jesus. God wants a family. And if you go back to the creation story with me, uh, think of the book of Genesis, right? The first book in the scriptures. What are the first words of Genesis? In the beginning, right? In the beginning, and, and it says that there's darkness, and then God speaks light into existence on what? The first day. There's this creation story about in the beginning, there's darkness, and on the first day, God speaks these things into existence, and over six days of creation, it culminates in a family. It culminates in this family of God, Adam and Eve, our, our distant spiritual, you know, physical ancestors, right? And it's a family that looks like him, right? They're made in his image. 
man and woman reflecting God's glory out into the world on this, on this, this sixth day of creation. And where were they? They were in a garden, right? This beautiful paradise that God creates. And into the middle of this, the culmination of his creation and the created order is a family. And he does this for his own joy because God, God doesn't need anything. So why does he do this? For his own joy. He wants to be with people who look like him and act like him. He wants to spend time with them. But he also does it for his own glory. And as the culmination of his created order, we find our best selves when we actually live for the glory of God. And this is what he wants for Adam and Eve. The core of God's good creation is a family. But what happens, right? We see that not too long into this creation, the culmination becomes the corruption of his family. So God's created order, the culmination of it, Adam and Eve end up being part of the corruption of creation because they give in to the temptation to sin, right? There's this story of this serpent that comes along, which becomes known as Satan, the devil, the enemy of God that comes along and tempts them towards autonomy, right? That's really what's at work in the Garden of Eden is that Adam and Eve, they decide, you know what, we don't need to depend on God. We're not going to live for his glory. We're going to live for our glory, and they seek this autonomy, and, and God says, look, when you do that, when you pursue this, it's going to bring a curse upon you. And it's this physical pain and death that comes upon humanity. It's a relational pain and death that comes along with, uh, comes along with the curse, that, that these people no longer love one another well. They actually, you see Cain kill Abel, and there's this, this hostility between uh, Adam and Eve, and there's, there's all these problems relationally, and psychologically things come in, and there's all of this pain and death and suffering and baggage. And what Scripture tells us is that everything that we suffer, our pain, our suffering, our brokenness, our baggage, can all be traced back to the first Adam. This is the concept of original sin, is that this, this problem that, that starts with Adam actually goes through all flesh, meaning it's in all of us too. There's a reason we have mixed reviews in our family. It traces itself all the way back to our first ancestors, to the culmination of creation, Adam and Eve. And so God tells Adam and Eve, if you eat of this tree and you seek your own autonomy and you want to live for your own glory, there's this curse that's going to come upon you. But we also see that in the middle of this curse, in the middle of this pronouncement to Adam, to Eve, and to the devil himself, that there's a promise. Jesus is mentioned very early on in the scriptures, in the book of Genesis. In the midst of, of saying, look, this is what's going to happen to you, Adam. You're going to toil and have to work the ground by the sweat of your brown. There's going to be thorns and briars. And, and Eve, you're going to have pain in your childbirth. And there's going to be these problems relationally. And, and, and Satan, you are going to get yours someday, is what God says. For tempting humanity into this. For trying to destroy God's good creation. The culmination of which is the family. What we see is that this enemy of God who was so uh, so prone to want to fight God, to destroy humanity, to destroy creation, will actually come to his own demise, that he will come to death some day. What God says in Genesis 3 is that the offspring of Eve, the seed of Eve, the, the, the human descendant of Eve, will actually crush the serpent someday. In Genesis 3.15, you can read along with it here. It says, I will, so this is God speaking to the serpent, as it were, right? To Satan himself, to the enemy of God. He says, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring 
and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. God's telling the enemy, someone is going to come along from the descendants of Eve and crush your head. Yeah, you will strike his heel. It'll be this minor injury, but you will crush his head, meaning evil will be stamped out. Sin will be rendered powerless. The enemy of God will be destroyed. And that the crushing of this enemy would come from within the family of God, a.k.a. a human. So if you follow the track of God's people, Adam and Eve, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the family of Israel, it all culminates in Jesus. Jesus comes to earth as the second Adam, the new Adam, the better Adam, who lives in perfect union with his father, something that Adam and Eve did not do giving glory to God at all times, something that Adam and Eve did not do. And he represents the family of God in this new created order. If you've read the scriptures at all and you know the beginning of the book of John, John, one of the disciples, writes his gospel. What are the first words in the book of John? In the beginning. That should trigger something in our minds that this is a new creation narrative starting to happen. John is a great writer. And he's telling us that there's this new creation happening, and and we see rumblings of it throughout the life of Jesus, do we not? In his ministry, that he's starting to undo the problems from the curse. He's starting to undo all the pain and brokenness. We see him going and and touching lepers and making them whole, undoing part of the curse. We We see him healing blindness and muteness and deafness. We see him raising people from the dead. We see him casting out demons as the offspring of Satan, as it were, trying to rally around him and trying to crush him, and he kicks them out. He boots them out of creation, and he's renewing people. So we see these, this new creation rumbling starting to happen throughout the narrative in the life of Jesus. And the enemy of God does his best to tempt this new Adam to seek autonomy. And Jesus withstands and says, no, 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 I'm dependent on my father, not on, not on my own autonomy. And we see the enemy of God does his best to throw evil at Jesus and crush him and distract him with storms, and Jesus calms them. And these demon-possessed people, and Jesus stills them and kicks the demons out of them. He's doing battle with evil head to head, and he's winning. New creation is rumbling in their midst. And then we see that the enemy does his best to kill Jesus and does. This is strange that God would allow this. This is the unexpected that Dana was talking about. And if you remember Genesis 3 and the promise within the curse, what God said would happen is happening. That Jesus dies on the cross and his heel is bruised. But what's happening on the cross through the atonement is the head of the serpent is being crushed, that Satan is being rendered powerless anymore because of what Jesus is accomplishing on the cross and in his resurrection. The serpent, the serpent is being crushed. We've showed this picture before. This is a, a beautiful rendition of, of, to me, what is happening. You have Eve downcast because of the brokenness of humanity 
touching the hand of pregnant Mary. And what's Mary doing? Stepping on the head of the serpent. This is Jesus coming forth from all that lineage of Eve, the offspring of Eve down through Mary, coming forth to crush the serpent, to do business with evil head to head and rid creation of it, returning it to the goodness that God had intended so long ago. Friends, Jesus is the offspring of Eve, the human who comes forward to crush the head of the serpent. But his heel is bruised. He dies. But what we're celebrating today is that he didn't stay dead, that the tomb of Jesus is empty, that he was raised from the dead, and the victory that Satan thought he had won through the death of Jesus is completely undone. Turns out it was just a bruise to the heel. Jesus is alive and well and living at the right hand of the Father, even now overseeing all of creation still for our good and for his glory. But let's read again what John has to say about this. This matters deeply. John, in telling his his, uh, resurrection narrative, Jesus has died, he's on the cross, his body is there pierced and dead, and it says, after this, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might remove Jesus' body. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took his body away. Nicodemus, who we'd read about in John 3, who had previously come to him at night, also came bringing a mixture of about 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. They took Jesus' body and wrapped it in linen cloths with the fragrant spices according to the burial custom of the Jews. There was a garden in the place where he was crucified. A new tomb was in the garden. Do you hear it? what John is starting to tell us. No one had yet been placed in it. They placed Jesus there because of the Jewish day of preparation and since the tomb was nearby. So this full life of God, this this fully God, fully man, this body, this seed is placed into the ground in a new garden. New creation is rumbling again in this story. Then it says this as he continues on. On the first day of the week, oh, John, he knows exactly what he's doing when he's writing it this way. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. Man, this is Genesis 1 right here. First day of the week, it's dark, and yet light is starting to emanate out of this new garden. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she went running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. I love how John talks about himself. He's trying to be humble, right? The one Jesus loved and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. At that, Peter and the other disciple went out heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter. John's like, look at me, I'm faster. And got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then following him, Simon Peter also came. He entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloths, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first then also went in, saw and believed. For they did not yet understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. 
Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. But Mary stood outside the tomb, crying. As she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they've put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus, meaning Jesus can be standing right in front of you and you might miss it. She did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing he was the gardener. She replied, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. Turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Now, like, now she recognizes him. She hears his voice. She recognizes him that this gardener is actually Jesus. Don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers. Now you start to hear family language come into this. Go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and she told them what he had said to her. On the first day of the week, light coming out of darkness in a new garden, that she mistakes him for the gardener. Man, what great irony, because God is the gardener. He is the one creating all of this, this new life coming up out of the ground here some 2,000 years ago. And then Jesus tells her, look, I'm going to my father, who is also your father. I cannot even tell you what that liberation must have felt like for female disciples in the first century. It's no longer just the high priest's God. It's no longer just the men and the disciples' God. It's everyone's father now. This is the beauty of new creation that is starting here. John is telling us that a new creation has begun at the resurrection of Jesus that a new week has begun, a new beginning, a new garden, a new humanity, a new family of God is being reconstituted around Jesus here at the resurrection. The enemy of God has been rendered powerless. Jesus has defeated him. He says it multiple times in the book of John that on the cross, Satan will be defeated. Satan will be kicked out. Sin is now able to be overcome by the presence of the indwelling Spirit of God that he places in his sons and daughters. And death is no longer the final word because of Jesus' resurrection. Amen? Like, we do not need to fear that anymore. Sad, yes. Terrible, yes. Is it the end? No, praise God. Because Jesus has been raised from the dead. New creation has begun and we will never die. This is the victory of Jesus in his resurrection. And you today and me today can be new creation, that we can experience a rebirth, that we can be the family of God through belief. There's this new family that's forming in and around Jesus, the perfect people of God, the perfect Israel, the new and perfect Adam. John tells us at the very beginning of his gospel, he says, Jesus was in the world, 
and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. Again, here's this concept that you could not recognize Jesus despite him walking in your midst. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave the right to be or to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not, listen to this, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of some husband, but of God. This is our rebirth in Jesus. It's not just a fleshly thing. It's it's not just an accident. It's not just some man's decision to get somebody pregnant. It's God saying, I want a new son. I want a new daughter. And this is what he's offering to us through Jesus, saying you can be reborn if you believe. God is starting a new creation, a new family in the resurrection that we all rally around now. And what Paul tells us later in 2 Corinthians is that we all get to be new creation. Listen to this. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, meaning he's your team, he's your guy, he's your savior, he's your Lord. You believe this. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. All that crap from your family, all that that weird mixed review stuff from your heritage, that brokenness that came down, the shame that was passed down from parents, the dysfunction, the psychological things, the emotional things, the bad financial decisions, the bad habits, whatever it is that was passed down, all those old things have been made new. The old has passed away and see the new has come. In the Greek, it's like the old has passed away, new creation. Like it's just boom, there it is, new creation. Friends, in Jesus, what John is telling us, what Paul is telling us, when we believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus and say, yes, I'm staking my life on that. He says, you can become children of God. You can be brought into the family of God, that our sin and brokenness no longer need to define us. Our shame no longer needs to make us hide uh, in places and not wanna reveal things to people around us. We are no longer separated from the Father, but can actually have a relationship with a heavenly Father. Is it the same as an earthly dad? No, no, earthly dads are very special. Earthly parents are very special, but there's something deep and profound that happens when we spiritually connect to our heavenly Father and that we can be in relationship with Him. We can hear from Him through scriptures, through songs, through others, through prayer, that we get to be in loving, serving unity with a diversity of people in the family of God, and that we can fulfill our God-given purpose of living for His glory and for our good the way that we were intended to all those years ago back in the first garden. N.T. Wright, I read an article from him this week. He says this uh, on this, this new family, right, constituted around Jesus. He says, the very existence of this strange new family constitutes the standing rebuke from creation's true God to the tyrants and bullies of the world. Now, he's British, and he writes weird, and he's super intelligent. Let me read this for you again. He says, the very existence of this strange new family that we get to be a part of as children of God, the very existence of this family constitutes God's standing rebuke to the tyrants and bullies of this world, to the brokenness of this world, to the sin of this world, to the injustice of this world, to the lack of love and peace and shalom in this world. God says, new family, you're now a standing rebuke to that. You get to show the world what love looks like. You get to show the world what unity through diversity actually looks like. 
You get to show the world what equality looks like between men and women. You get to show the world what it looks like when the rich are caring for the poor and the poor are elevated, like on and on and on. He says, that's, that's how you want to show bullies and tyrants that they're wrong? Live it out as children of God, he's saying. That's our privilege. That's our honor that we get to live for God's glory and our good as new creation, as a new family. So in these coming weeks, I think we're going to take six weeks or so to dive into this, we're going to be going through a series called A New Family. And man, it is not simple. It's complicated to be a new people, to be a new family. What what does it actually mean to be children of God, to be the family of God? What does it mean to be adopted into God's family and have a new identity in Jesus? What do we do with all of our family baggage? the pain, the brokenness that has filtered down to us for all these years? How does the new family of God act towards one another? What do you do with that ornery sister that's in this new family? What do you do with that weird uncle in this family? Right? See, it's not just all kumbaya, right? It doesn't just happen, right? So we're going to dive into what it means to actually be the family of God as new creation, as people who have been reborn into Jesus. So I invite you to come back over the next few weeks and And dive into this with us and look what it means to be a new family of God, constituted around Jesus and his resurrection. Let me close with this. Friends, God wants you to be in his family, a new family. God wants you to be reborn, to be born again. That's where this term comes from. God wants you to be reborn into new creation. And Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection are a new beginning for all of us. Do you believe it? Do you recognize it today? Do you take this on and say, yes, I want to be in Christ so that I am a new creation? Friends, new life is possible. New creation is possible because of Jesus' death and resurrection. That's what we celebrate this Easter. Would you pray with me?